This podcast is sponsored by GoGo, the leader in in-flight connectivity and wireless entertainment. Our superior technologies, best-in-class service, and global reach help planes fly smarter. Our partners perform better, and their passengers travel happier. Learn more at gogoair.com forward slash airline. So on Monday, Airline Weekly had a cover story about the potential for consolidation within the European airline sector. And sure enough, this week, everybody's talking about consolidation only not so much in Europe, rather in a country where there's already been a whole lot of consolidation. Of course, I'm talking about the U.S. and the possible acquisition of Virgin America. Yeah, right story, wrong continent, huh? Well, it's okay. We did at least mention the acquisition rumors. It all started last week with Bloomberg reporting that Virgin America was sending out feelers for buyers after receiving some, quote, takeover interest. Yeah, then this week, Reuters reported, by way of unnamed sources, that the airline has received interest from JetBlue, Alaska Airlines, and, quote, Asian airline companies. Could we see some more consolidation in the U.S. market? We may soon find out as this week's show is starting with the Virgin America story. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President at Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner at Airline Weekly. We're also going to talk about another Virgin, namely Virgin Atlantic, plus Hainan Airlines is flying high, and Israel's El Al finished strong in 2015. It's all coming up on the Airline Weekly Lounge. joining us. We're beginning the show with the possible acquisition of Virgin America. This is a story very much driven by unnamed sources. So let's talk about what we don't know. We don't know if this will happen. We don't know who will be the buyer. We don't know whether the buyer will be a domestic airline, a foreign airline, or an airline at all. So I think it's only responsible to open with this question. How likely is it that anything will happen? Well, it's starting to feel somewhat likely, isn't it? You know, now that there's a fair amount of interest. Uh, yeah, look, Virgin is is probably worth more as part of something else than it is individually. You know, let's say private equity were just to buy the airline by itself. Well, there's some things you could perhaps do with the business model. I mean, you know, unbundle the products some more, densify the fleet, that sort of thing. And and uh, and hey, you know, maybe that would help. Uh, but, you know, we still are talking about an airline that really doesn't have any network niches. And, and, you know, if there's one thing we know about the airline industry and sort of who makes a lot of money, disproportionately tends to be airlines that either have very low costs, huge cost differential versus their competitors. And if their fares are only somewhat lower, well, then they make a lot of money or they have some kind of network niche that could be, you know, dominant in a certain region or, or just a huge global network. Virgin doesn't have either. And that wouldn't change with just a different owner, whereas Within another airline, uh, you know, perhaps you might get some outsized benefits. Uh, you know, if they're motivated to sell, you know, meaning that you might not need to drive the same kind of premium that you would need in, you know, in a more hostile takeover type situation, then, uh, then you know, it, it, it becomes somewhat likely. And, and that seems to be the case right now. We said in Airline Weekly this week that JetBlue seemed to be the best fit among airlines. Why them more than any other carrier? Well, uh, I mean, 
you know, broadly speaking, it's it's uh, a similar business model. Uh, you know, the the upmarket, lowish cost carrier. You know, they they both have their their transcon networks. Uh, you know, flying between the West Coast and the East Coast. You know, so you'd have one less competitor in that market. In fact, JetBlue uh, by adding Virgin, you know, would would become the biggest player in some of the biggest transcon markets. So, uh, so you know that that's that's attractive. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it, it's uh, for all the other reasons why airlines merge, uh, you know, more scale. Uh, and in this case, uh, a rather compatible fleet. They both fly a 320 family aircraft. Uh, they do have different engines, unfortunately, uh, on, in terms of the the, the current generation fleets, uh, you know, which is kind of an underappreciated part of, of, of fleet compatibility, but no big deal. I mean, you're talking about airlines that are big enough that you just have enough scale with each size. And uh, JetBlue, if I'm not mistaken, hasn't made their engine election for their Airbus 320 Neos. So those could uh, end up having the, the same engines. Uh, but yeah, just, just two airlines that have as much in common as, as any other two airlines and where there would be just enough overlap uh, you know, for, for some meaningful reduction in competition in some of, of the very competitive markets, uh, but then, uh, you know, certainly very different businesses on, on the opposite coasts. JetBlue, of course, an East Coast specialist and, and Virgin America West Coast one. As we mentioned, Reuters reported by way of an unnamed source that one or more Asian airlines have expressed interest. Would that be another one of those strategic investments, sort of like Etihad's investment in Virgin Australia? Presumably, I mean, you know, it's 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 hard to to guess without knowing more about that. But uh, first of all, you know, of course, an Asian airline wouldn't be able to take over Virgin America because of foreign ownership rules. So so they would need a, a partner in the U.S. You know, whether private equity or, or someone else. But um, yeah, look, there there are a lot of airlines around the world that care about Virgin America because. It's a it's a code share partner of some of theirs, an interline partner of others. Uh, it, you know, it, it is that that independent airline at San Francisco most prominently, but also some other airports where, uh, you know, in the case of SFO, let's take that one because it's the most important place. Uh, you know, if you're not a Star Alliance member and you're flying in there, so United's not an option for you. Virgin America becomes an important way to feed your flights. Now, if that's important an important enough reason to buy an airline or to buy part of an airline, you know, that, that's a more difficult question, but, um, but, but it wouldn't be the first time that a foreign airline bought part of an airline for that reason. I mean, Hey, we're talking here about JetBlue potentially being the buyer, uh, you know, Lufthansa bought a stake in JetBlue years ago uh, for, for really for that very reason, uh, you know, that, that it saw them as an important source of, of traffic feed in the U.S. That then became redundant when Lufthansa later became a, a partner with United. United, of course, having the, the huge hub at Newark, but um, uh, yeah, would, wouldn't be the first time. So why does Virgin America apparently want to be purchased? Well, it's an airline that sometimes just kind of seems to be out of ideas. Uh, you know, they enhanced their profits over the past couple of years by vastly slowing their growth. Uh, and, and letting markets mature, you know, for a long time they've been growing so quickly and opening new markets. And you know, new markets tend to be immature. Markets tend to be uh, difficult places to profit uh, at, uh, until they develop, until demand catches up. Uh, so they let that happen. They they uh, deferred some aircraft deliveries 
into future years. And, uh, and sure enough, they did become more profitable. They closed some of the margin gap against their competitors. Uh, and then, of course, low fuel prices helped them uh, just, just like everybody else. So uh, you know, to be clear here, we're, we're not talking about an airline that's uh, on death's doorstep. You know, Far from it. This is the U.S. we're talking about here where everybody's profitable, them included. But they are a laggard. Uh, they are an airline that if if the tide were to be lowered, if the whole industry started doing worse again, uh, uh, you know, that could become problematic for them because, you know, if other airlines are only somewhat profitable at another moment in time, they could indeed be uh, be losing money. So, uh, you know, they now uh, the gig is up in terms of, of slowing the growth and deferring aircraft deliveries, because now they have to begin taking those aircraft and you see them doing some new things, flying to Hawaii and so forth, you know, new flights to Denver. But yeah, with, with all the aircraft that are due to come in and an airline that has, seems to have trouble finding new markets, you know, Dallas Love Field so far has been a disaster for them and so forth. You know, they may just sort of be coming to the conclusion that they're out of ideas for what to do independently, but that their assets could be valuable as a part of, of a bigger airline. They've been pretty much underperforming their peers for a long, ever since their inception, really. If you know they're out of ideas, where does the value lie in Virgin? Is it the fleet or the routes or the brand? Uh, well, and you said the routes, you know, more more specifically in a few places, let's say JFK, you know, the slots and so forth, you know, capacity constrained airports, you know, the brand. I mean, customers love the brand, but we've talked about that before. You know, how is it, how important is that when? You know, when airlines like Spirit. And yeah, Allegiant, I was playing uh, along when, when I said brand. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, you know, uh, how, how good are their brands? But they make a lot more money. Right. But, you know, brand counts for something. And certainly you are talking about a, a well-liked airline here. Um, on the other hand, that brand would uh, very likely go away if they were to be acquired by by somebody else. Uh, you know, of course, we're a long way away from knowing if that would, in fact, happen. But were JetBlue or Alaska, for example, to buy Virgin, you know, Virgin would be just the smaller airline. Uh, you know, and even though Alaska has kind of an awkward brand in terms of, of doing business on on the East Coast in particular, uh, you know, it, it, it's still a very strong brand. It's still a very well-liked airline and far larger airline there. And to use the Virgin brand, you have to uh, pay to license the brand from the Richard Branson, you know, from the Virgin Group. So, for, you know, if anything, that would be one synergy, uh, perhaps no longer having having to do that largely uh the you know the fleet and and the presence in in certain markets particularly san, san francisco where it's a meaningful competitor against united but more broadly there are a lot of markets where uh you would have what what's called the s curve effect and and this is something i remember scott kirby the president of american talking a lot about when american was merging with us airways and this is the idea that when you take two airlines that aren't particularly relevant, uh, certainly not huge in certain markets, then you put them together, all of a sudden they can become a meaningful competitor. You know, there are markets where, uh, you know, where 1M might be the eighth largest and 1M might be the 10th largest and, you know, nobody really pays attention to them. But all of a sudden you put them together and, and, and look at that, they're the fourth largest in that market, let's say, and, and they become relevant to the corporate travel community, for example. And, and, and there are a number of those places around the country. Uh, Washington Dulles comes to mind, Chicago O'Hare, Las Vegas. Those are markets where you know both of those airlines are there. They're not huge. You put them together, and and, and suddenly they they have at least a meaningful, although not dominant, presence. Currently, four U.S. airlines control about eighty percent of the U.S. market. Suppose JetBlue or Alaska acquires Virgin America. 
what would further consolidation do? A further consolidation at that scale, what would it do to the competitive balance in the U.S. market? Well, Virgin America is not a huge airline. Uh, you know, they're they're sort of in that that last grouping of airlines right now. What you have are four giant airlines: uh, Delta, United, American, and Southwest. Then you have two sizable airlines. JetBlue and Alaska, roughly the same size. Uh, And then you have Spirit, Allegiant, uh, Virgin America, Frontier. You have Hawaiian, too. Of course, they don't compete in in, uh, in most of the same markets. Uh, So, you know, so Virgin America is in that last group, not huge you know, in terms of as a percentage of the overall industry, but they're important in certain markets. So, uh, you know, in transcontinental markets, uh, there, there would be an impact, especially Virgin America often out there right now with what you might call somewhat desperate pricing. Uh, you know, they're, they're an airline. And this is one of those things that when you, when you don't have a scale or the best balance sheet, you know, when, when they came on the scene almost a decade ago, they had arguably the best product in the transcontinental market. Uh, you know, they're, their premium cabin, you know, had these sort of nearly lie flat seats that that people loved. Well, guess what? You know, you jump forward almost a decade and they're the only airline without a lie flat, a a fully flat business or first class seat in the market. And, you know, really without probably the wherewithal to uh, to to make the investment in that, you know, without further leveraging the, uh, the the company, although they've said they're they're happy with the product, but, you know, just a more difficult decision for them to improve their product uh, than it is for, uh, you know, for, for their much larger competitors where just everything you do is just a smaller percentage of the business. So, uh, you know, transcontinental taking them out of the marketplace um, would, 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 would be helpful for the other players there. Uh, you know, and you'd have some markets up and down the West Coast, uh, you know, flying to Vegas and so forth where that would be the case. But, you know, but but broadly speaking, they're probably, quite frankly, perceived by a lot of people to be a bigger airline than they actually are because of their their you know their their excellent brand and their presence in, in some of the very big markets. Uh, so you know even if Allegiant is let's say roughly the same size as Virgin America, depending on how you on how you measure it, you know there are a lot of people in giant cities who have no idea what Allegiant is, but most of those same people know what Virgin America is. Okay, continuing with the consolidation theme, as I mentioned, this week's cover story looks at the potential for consolidation in Europe. There, it is badly needed. I don't want to steal too much from our article, but tell me about the capacity situation in Europe. Yeah, you know, quite frankly, it's 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 capacity outpacing demand growth, and and you know, whenever that happens, you end up with with lower fares. Now. Of course, you also have cheaper fuel prices now. So, you know, some yield deterioration, some lower fares can be fine, you know, and, and, and we, we see European airlines where, uh, you know, although fares are, are almost universally lower now than they had been, uh, airlines in many cases are more profitable because of cheaper fuel. I mean, that's true in Europe. That's true in many parts of the world. You know, if anything, an airline where that's not true is much more the exception right now. So almost everybody has lower fares, and yet the majority of airlines are more profitable now thanks to falling fuel prices. Uh, But guess what? Fuel prices aren't really falling anymore. I mean, by definition, they could only ever fall so far, and now they've plateaued. And if anything, uh, you know, tick ticked up a bit over the past month or so. And so if fuel prices stop falling and capacity keeps growing as as uh, as quickly as it's been growing and, you know, talking about, oh, eight percent growth during the uh, the peak summer quarter this year, according to, to DO schedule data, you know, you're going to get lower fares. And at some point, 
without the benefit of, of falling fuel prices. Little more benefits to come for some airlines uh, who had bad hedges, and as those wear off, fuel just kind of naturally becomes a bit cheaper. But but yeah, I know not not a not a pre- pretty capacity story, particularly in some parts of Europe where the capacity situation seemed to have stabilized. I'm talking particularly about Scandinavia, for example where SAS had, you know, had a rather good year last year because uh, capacity growth was rather benign. That's uh, no longer the case. We mentioned a lot of potential matches for mergers as well as a lot of obstacles to those matches. But one match that we said was rather obvious was IAG merging with Finnair. How likely is that? Well, yeah, that, that's that's right up there with the most obvious. You're talking about airlines that are in the same alliance, One World, that are already in uh, a joint venture together. You know, Finnair is in that antitrust immune joint venture with British Airways, Iberia, uh, and American Airlines. So, you know, in, in that regard, they're already more integrated than even Aer Lingus, which, of course nonetheless uh, you know is is now a part of IAG so uh so yeah you know on paper but not only on paper it it it, uh, it makes sense you know finair i mean we we for for a decade have called them a, a one trick pony you know they were an asia specialist they still are and for a long time we in airline weekly would write you know hey Asia's going well now, back when that was the case. But if things ever become worse uh, in Asia, you know, Finnair, Finnair could be in trouble. Well, guess what? Things are worse in Asia, you know, and, and they've they've felt the pinch. Yeah, you know, they've they've rather clearly, you know, indicated at various times over the years that they would be open to something. Uh, and you can imagine that IAG would be too. And IAG, if anything, is a company that is that is rather well positioned, you know, more so than Air France KLM or the Lufthansa Group right now, you know, to, to do something. Uh, financially, they are still in the middle of integrating Aer Lingus. I mean, they've got a lot on their plates, but you'd have to imagine that if they, that if the price was right in this situation, where other words, right for them, that they uh, that they would look very seriously at that. One airline that's not merging with anybody soon is Virgin Atlantic, who reported 2015 earnings. Virgin made a pre-tax annual profit of 35 million, which was an improvement on the 24 million profit it posted in 2014. Neither of those numbers are particularly good, though. Uh, for the most part, however, we thought these were po- this was a positive sign, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, well, mainly because they had hundreds of millions of dollars in fuel hedge losses. Uh, so, you know, you take that, what you said, $35 million 30. profit. Yeah, but then you add a few hundred million dollars to it. Those are real losses. <laughs> yeah, it's money that they that they uh, that you know it's not imaginary. But uh, you know, in terms of their prospects going forward with those bad hedges going away, the underlying profits there are 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 drastically improved over what the capacity or over what the situation rather was a few years ago. And, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, look, it's 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 an airline with a very powerful joint venture with Delta that is clearly going well. You know, they, they've done a good job reallocating capacity from more difficult markets, you know, making some tough choices about, you know, leaving places like Sydney and Tokyo and, you know, important places um, and, and reallocating that capacity to the transatlantic. It's an airline that, gosh, more than almost any other you can think of, whose fleet situation is improving in a dramatic way. Uh, you, you know, this this is an airline that up until a few years ago, did not have any airplane, not a single airplane in the fleet that did not have four engines. Uh, you know, and, and you're going to that from that to a situation uh, where they're going to have a very modern, fuel-efficient fleet. Uh, so, um, you know, for a lot to like about about Virgin's prospects going forward. 
Regarding the all-important transatlantic market, uh, we reported that Virgin's 15% capacity increase in that market contributed to some yield deterioration. Does that mean it was a mistake to put that much capacity there? Well, not necessarily, because it's always a question of, well, what else would you have done with that capacity? Uh, you know, so uh, whenever you you add capacity to a market, all things being equal, yields are going to drop, supply and demand economics. But, you know, if, if you're pulling that capacity uh, out of markets that are more difficult, then for the company, it it, uh, it might make sense to to do what they did. And again, sort of if you if you at a very high level, look at how how well they did relatively, uh, you know, although no airline is going to show it's, it's route by route uh, profit and lo- profits and losses, uh, you know, you can conclude that, uh, that those were probably uh, good decisions for the airline, you know, even if somewhat frustrating for their competitors who, uh, you know, everybody shares in the yield declines when an airline adds capacity in a market. Okay, that brings us to our airline 101 question. dun dun Wait, do you think now, do you think we should get a proper trumpet sound or do you think dun dun works? Yeah, I think that'll, that'll have to have to do. It's not the worst thing about this podcast. Dun dun We'll get a focus group to uh, decide which they want. Absolutely. Okay, so here's our airline, this week's Airline 101 question. If capacity growth depresses yields, why would airlines want to grow? Yeah, well... Because capacity growth also depresses costs. Uh, and so, yeah, for for the uh, uninitiated, just very quickly here, because, you know, certainly a lot of listeners un- understand all this, but, you know, some, some people uh, uh, don't. Yeah, generally speaking, when an airline grows, almost always it's yields and it's unit revenues. Uh, so, so that's basically the, you know, how much each passenger pays to fly one mile and then unit revenues, just how much you're earning, uh, uh, every time one seat flies one mile, whether it's occupied or not, yields and unit revenues fall when you grow. That's the bad news. The good news is that when you grow, your unit costs, the cost of flying each seat one mile also fall because you're achieving scale. You know, you're utilizing your fleet more, your, your employees become more productive and, and all those sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, those basically the whole low cost carrier model is, was, was founded on that, on, on productivity. Uh, you know, keep the plane in the air. A plane doesn't make money on the ground. You know, Herb Kelleher realized that 40 some years ago. So, so when you grow, your unit revenues fall, that's bad. Your unit costs fall, that's good. The big question is, which of them is falling more quickly? Uh, and when fuel is cheap for reasons that, uh, well, it would be a whole other podcast to talk about all the reasons, but generally speaking, when fuel is cheap, you're likely to be able to drive your unit costs down by so much that even though your unit revenues fall, they fall by less than your unit cost. And guess what? If your unit costs are falling a lot and your unit revenues are falling only a little, add all that up and you're going to be a more profitable airline. The opposite, by the way, is true too. When you cut capacity, you know, you, you alter the supply and demand balance in that way, um, your unit revenues go up because you've taken supply out of the market you know, relative to the same amount of demand. Unit revenues go up. That's good. But your unit costs go up because you're less productive. Uh, you're, you're, you're less efficient. That's bad. Now, when fuel was very expensive, very often by cutting capacity, airlines could actually uh, improve their profits because the unit revenues went up a lot and the unit costs only went up uh, somewhat. Uh, but right now, with cheaper fuel, tends tends to favor growth uh, in, in the hopes that the uh, unit costs will, will fall by more than the unit revenues. But obviously, airlines have to be very careful about that because uh, you know because you do have that that very certain yield 
and unit revenue deterioration when you grow. One more question about Virgin Atlantic. How worried is Virgin about Norwegian and its low-cost long-haul operation to America? Seems like they have an especially high level of exposure. Oh, well, they do. Yeah, because, you know, Norwegian is clearly particularly interested in expanding from, uh, well, from London, you know, limited opportunities from Scandinavia, even if perhaps some some more. And 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 Virgin has their huge London operation. I mean, Virgin is, is at Heathrow as well as, as Gatwick. Norwegian, as they expand from, from Gatwick, you know, that's a lot of overlapping capacity, uh, competing for a lot of the same kinds of, of, uh, of leisure traffic that Virgin historically has disproportionately gotten. Virgin, of course, very interested in, in the corporate travel market too, but they uh, they depend a lot on leisure traffic, uh, still do. And yeah, you know, it, it's it, it, Norwegian for them is, is a very direct competitor. And so as dozens more Dreamliners continue coming into Norwegian's fleet, as is the case, yeah, Virgin is, is, is very much in the crosshairs of that as much as any other airline. Hainan Airlines reported Q4 earnings, and like all Chinese carriers seem to do lately, Hainan posted really nice results. 11% operating margin in the quarter, 20% for the year. So with such great results, Hainan will probably just sit back, play it safe, do nothing, watch the profits roll in. Right, Seth? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, they are, let me see here, growing international ASKs this summer 23% that according to DOME schedule data total let's see domestic 8% uh, you know so this is an airline that's growing very very rapidly uh you know in a place where obviously there are all kinds of questions about the economy now so far uh, yeah you're you're right they've they've uh they've done fine for that they've done fine with that rather we'll see going forward if uh they can still uh continue justifying the, the kinds of capacity growth they've shown with uh, with demand growth in, in an economy that is slowing. Israel's LL had a decent fourth quarter. Operating margin, 5% for the quarter, 8% for the year. Yeah, really uh, quietly impressive airline. Uh, several months back, Bloomberg noted that uh, their shares, uh, LL's stock, actually appreciated by more last year, 2015, than any other listed airline around the world. Uh, it was, you know, they more than tripled, if, if I recall correctly, and, and so yeah, this this is an airline with you know with with all kinds of challenges. You know, it's it's rather small. It's not in an alliance. It's uh you know it's in a, it's in a volatile region uh, where things often go wrong. It it has uh you know all kinds of sort of restrictions. I mean, most notably, look a minute ago we were talking about productivity and efficiency. This is an airline that there's one day of the week when it's not allowed to fly the Jewish uh, Sabbath. Shabbos. And so uh, with all of that, considering that they're now doing rather well in the face, by the way, of liberalization uh, in Israel, that's brought in new competition, uh, rather impressive. But, you know, one thing is they, they, they seem to have done an OK job with something that's always tough. They started a low cost unit. Uh, it's called Up. And, you know, although it's difficult to say whether that's you know, the reason for the turnaround and, you know, it's it's almost certainly not the the only reason um you know that that seems to have have uh, perhaps at least been helpful rather than the distraction that that a low-cost unit within an airline often is how does israel's open skies agreement impact al yeah well it, it, all kinds of new competition but um it's, uh, if anything, forced El Al to reform itself in some ways. I mean, very, very much a uh, poster child here for, you know, why countries should liberalize. Um, you know, you, you look at a place like Argentina now, for example, that uh, finally has a 
uh, you know, more of a pro-business government that um, you know wants to get the economy going and, and showing all kinds of signs of of doing that there. Uh, you know, you wonder what the possibilities are, are when you liberalize and, and and what it does to the home carrier, or for that matter, you know, you know, what what if India were to liberalize and sort of you know set Air India loose. Well, here, here's a country that did that and, and El Al kicked and screamed. But in the end, they were kind of forced to reform themselves and, and to just, you know, compete on, on more of a level playing field. Uh, it's certainly been great for Israel in terms of inbound tourism. And El Al itself is doing as well as ever despite the liberalization, you know, despite uh, more competition. Now, uh, there's some luck involved, too. I mean, one thing is that for all the volatility that I mentioned in the in the region, Israel itself actually has been relatively stable recently. So, you know, if you had any destabilizing events there, that would change things. Um, so, uh, of course, very, very important for inbound tourism. Uh, the, the fact that that Israel itself, never mind what's happening in places very close to it, uh, has been doing rather well. But, yeah, very much a, a model for, for how to get liberalization right. And on that positive note, we'll leave it there for this week. Seth, thanks as always. We haven't plugged the book in a while. It's called Glory Lost and Found, How Delta Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post-9-11 Era. Available at your favorite online bookstore. Pick it up. You will not be disappointed. Until next week, thanks for joining us in the Airline Weekly Lounge. If they go, would you miss Virgin America? Oh, the mood lighting especially. <laughs>